you know, I, I run a business, I got to get taxed. I can't meditate my way into understanding that. I actually have to sit down and someone has to show me and teach me. You know, the inter like, how does finance work? How do I make money? What, what's going on here? Like, the what's going on here anxiety is so percolated under people and money that it's, it's, un, it's no, it's no, it's no uh, surprise that people feel real anxiety when dealing with money because the context is really the system of, of, of how people make money. And getting comfortable means learning those systems. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. The heart of medicine is not the needles, methods, theories, and interventions. The heart of the medicine is connective. Connective in that the sensitivities of one human being can attune, and as the Chinese say, tong, or open to another human. It's seen in the way that a practitioner can sit with another and be completely affirming of their experience without judgment, belief, resistance, or opinion. This doesn't mean the practitioner agrees with the patient, and it doesn't mean that the practitioner believes the patient, but that he or she believes that what is true for the patient is true for them. The practitioner is observant to how those beliefs can benefit or limit the person who they're seeking to help. Affirming what's present sounds easy, but it's actually hard to do. To set aside our story just enough to listen without comment or comparison. To allow the intimacy of encounter with another to allow the vulnerable heart of another to touch our own. To see another from their own point of view with a sense of appreciation. The skilled practitioner does not lose their core connection to themselves. Nor do they have such a rigidity of ego that they can't be moved in unexpected and profound ways. The botanist Luther Burbank said that if you love something, it will tell you its secrets. We're not talking about something sentimental here. We're talking about a kind of fierceness of heart, a kind of courage to allow ourselves the possibility of being utterly transformed in unexpected ways. The world changes when we love another. It spins on a different pivot. We lose a kind of innocence, even if we've lost that innocence 10,000 times before. Something melts away when we allow ourselves to see what others would prefer to shield and to hold that tender aspect of being that has for so long avoided the light. At the same time, a firm rooting of oneself, a trustworthy solidity is essential if another is going to trust us with the parts that no one, especially themselves, has been able to hold. This rooted stability does not come from protocols, procedures, or rules. It comes from our own cultivation, time in the boat, through the years and moments of reaction and confusion that season us if we'll take it as a kind of nourishment. The heart of medicine comes not from where we place the needles, but how we get to the decision on where to place the needles. It comes from a kind of seeing that can be shaken out into a theory, but the theory alone won't get you there. The heart of medicine is about in any moment being able to say yes to what's in front of us and to drop our resistance to what is unfolding in this moment. This doesn't mean that we don't do what we can to intervene in a way that might be helpful, or that we don't have some thoughts about how to navigate from this moment into the next. It's our job to attend to these transitions, liminal spaces, moments of birthing and dying, moments of allowing our patients to see themselves in our presence. 
The heart of medicine isn't about manipulating our patients into another state of being. It's more about helping them across a river or a chasm, or perhaps learning to navigate an emotional reaction. It's about helping them to unfold the next step that's right for them. Not for us, not right for the evidence-based research, not right for the family member who's deeply concerned about their well-being. When it comes to transformational experiences, attentive presence is called for. There might not be maps for this territory. The heart of medicine is discovering what you thought was a headwind might in reality be a tailwind. That our gifts come from the wounds. That being smart is helpful to a certain degree. And then it becomes poison or blinding. And that we get it wrong on the way to getting it right. Our patients relentlessly teach us. But don't look for gold stars, certificates, or applause. The best healing occurs when patients hear something and say, that's right, not you're right. When they fall into their own natural sense of integration, ease, and health, and feel themselves to be whole, lovable, and loved. In just a moment, we're going to be getting into a conversation about wealth, resources, and well-being. I was fortunate recently to sit down with Matt Ludmer of the Align Center, which is just north of New York City, where we had our most recent Sa'am class. Matt has a unique perspective on money, meaning in the capital W work, that allows us to grow beyond our limits and bring our gifts into the world. He's been a long, long time meditator, and he spent a long time on Wall Street as a trader and investor. So he has a unique perspective on wealth, resources, and right livelihood. Part of being in practice is attending to the practice of business and being attentive to the profound energy associated with money and finances. I came away from this conversation deeply inspired and optimistic. I can't remember the last time I had such a delightful time talking about money because, well, actually, we talked about a hell of a lot more than money. All right, friends, buckle up. Matt Ludmer is a bundle of energy and joy. I think you're going to like this. Let's get into it. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. 
By switching to AccuFast needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Today, I have got Matt Ledmer with me. Uh, today is a Friday, and for Matt Ledmer, Friday is Unintentional Friday. Now, all y'alls out there, I know you're acupuncturists, and we think intention's an important thing, and it is. Right. So, uh, Matt... First of all, I just want to yeah. say a, a few things about Matt. We're here in Irvington, New York. We're actually going to have a Sa'am acupuncture class over the weekend. We're doing it at this lovely facility that Matt has put together. We're going to hear more about that. But the reason I wanted to talk to Matt is because he's at one time and still is to some degree a Wall Street guy. He knows a little bit about business. He knows a little bit about money. And all y'all's out there know that for me, business is a really interesting thing because for us acupuncturists, we're often a little reluctant. We kind of drag our feet around it. I love talking to people that know something about business, that know something about money, mm. and, and ways of doing it that is like supportive of the kind of people we are. So I've got Matt here on Unintentional Friday. Mm. Matt, welcome to Geological. Uh, thank you. Appreciate the welcome. <laughs> Unintentional Friday. <laughs> <laughs> You're curious about that? Yeah, I'm a little curious. Uh, well, you know, having been on Wall Street for many years and also been part of the Buddhist community for many years and be involved in 
the Jewish Kabbalah community for many years. Jewish Kabbalah community. Oh, yeah. we're going to get into that later. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. And okay. uh, and then saying, what is this all about? And then learning integral theory, like how do you integrate all these different dimensions of my, you know, learning. Everything for me became very well thought out. You know, my life became super thought out because just to just to do one of those mm. is fairly complex. And yeah. we put them together. Right. So um, the beauty is I just sort of said, all right, uh, I have all these great models. We've created this beautiful center that helps to align them. It's called the Align Center. Oddly enough. Oddly enough. And things are aligned. We've been mm-hmm. here for now for almost three years. And what I found is my own personal practice, my own path, was I think they call it second-level simplicity, where you learn all the chords, and then it's time to just play music and drop the chords, just play. Uh-huh. Second-level so, simplicity. Yeah, because okay. you know you first have to learn the complexity of oh, yeah. how to make money and how to do all these different ways of your life and how to align it all. And you have to learn things to do that, mm. and that's fairly complex. A mm-hmm. little bit, maybe. Well, I mean, there, there's rules. It, it's... There's I mean, some there's some chords to play. There's some chords to play. You know, I love the music metaphor. Yeah, uh, especially as I've been learning guitar over the past few years. Yeah, and yeah, learning chords sometimes it's like super painful in the beginning, and then at a certain point, there's a natural flow to it. You don't even think; you just do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we teach the chords here. Mm-hmm. We try to live the chords here. Mm-hmm. And for me, as the person, because the person who's you know, helping direct the place has to embody that. You know, I have to. I don't have to. It's what I do. I just naturally want to live a life that's aligned. And part of it is to just be slightly unintentional every so often, so that it doesn't feel like this is a project that I'm just allowing my natural, who I am, to arise within this space. Uh-huh. So I do these things on Fridays where I just kind of take off and see what arises. See what arises. So this is this. There's a very Chinese concept of wu wei, mm. which is just doing without effort. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, so you, you create space for that. Exactly. And and I encourage others to do the same. Yeah. Uh, and to learn the chords. And to learn the chords. This is a piece that I want to get into is learning the chords. I understand. I mean, a lot of us uh, have trouble with those chords. Yeah. Uh, we have trouble with the notes mm. to begin with and, and, mm. and chords secondly. Yeah. I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I feel super lucky that I came from a family, I didn't know this mm-hmm. until recently, but I came from a family where most of the people in my family, they didn't have jobs. They had businesses, mm. right? They had businesses. Yeah. Or they were involved in sales, which is like having your own business. And so, you know, the idea of working for somebody else and the idea that someone else is going to be, you know, responsible in a sense for giving me a place to do a livelihood. I didn't really grow up with that. I mean, it's in the culture, and, and my family would talk about jobs. Mm. But it was funny because no one actually had one. Mm. Very few had one. Yeah, They mostly had businesses. And I think there's a real difference between having a job and having a business. Yeah, you know. And I think a lot of us acupuncturists, we come into this because there's some kind of a calling or a nudge or something that, that has really drawn us in mm. at a very deep level. And then we find ourselves here struggling with... How do we play these chords of everyday life so I'm paying my taxes and, you know, I've got some income and I'm paying my rent and and understanding all of this? Yeah, yeah. In uh, in Buddhism, they call it the view, right? The view. The view, mm-hmm. learning the view. And a lot of questions get answered when you have a right view. Mm-hmm. It's a mindset thing. And um, when you have the right view, a lot of things become easier. So... 
um, you know, it's it's great to be a wage earner, um, but on a very practical level, you you pay a bunch of taxes on it, and it's you know it's it's kind of, it can be kind of a drag to you know make a half or a quarter what you make and uh, work for other people and not have you know your autonomy. Uh, it's so great to go from being a wage earner to being an owner, and mm. and making that shift of mindset is really really important because you're not just owning a business; you're owning the purpose of profit, and the purpose of profit is very meaningful and very powerful. And people, oh, don't know, I'm, just, I'm just hearing you say it. Yeah. The purpose of profit. Yeah. And, and it's like these little gears in my mind are like going kink, 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 like reconfiguring. Yeah. Like, oh, wait a minute. There's something here that maybe I've been missing. So, mm. so please, tell, I, I, I want to know more about. Well, this. we're taking ourselves to the, really to the, the chords here. Yeah, we're really yeah. into the. We we'll start with the chords. In some sense, there's four real significant purposes for profit mm-hmm. or for making money or have a relationship with money. Mm-hmm. One is I call oxygen. Mm-hmm. Like we need oxygen to survive, mm-hmm. and we all know what it's like when we don't have oxygen. Like all our thoughts, all our intentions just get really mangled. And we as people are in such pain because we don't have oxygen. So getting to a place where we have oxygen is a really, a really good thing. It's good for ourselves. It's good for everybody around us. But then the question is, once we have oxygen, what do we do with that oxygen? And that takes us to the second purpose of money. And that is really, you know, first get your own act together. What is it when you're in a plane? It's like put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put on others. Right, right. So use that money to work on your own personal growth, your own understanding, your own education about your emotional health, your spiritual path. You know, use it in a way that makes you a better resource for everybody around you. So the second purpose prop is is to your own interiority and the development of your own interior so that you can get a sense as to how to be a great resource. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a path of meditation. Uh, it was a path of shadow work, really doing mm. deep uh, therapy. Uh, it was things that just made me get out of my own way so I could be helpful. Oh, boy. Yeah, you are <laughs> <You're> <laughs> preaching to the choir here, brother. <laughs> Which then takes us to the third chord. And that is the purpose is really, I mean, why are we making money? Why do we do, There's a purpose of goodness the purpose of helping others. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge topic because when you have oxygen and you have a sense of yourself, you're now in a really good place not to do damage to the world and pollute the world, but you're in a position where you're coming in a healthy mind to actually be a loving contributor. And what that means is you can use your money to help somebody who needs it. You can teach someone else how to make money and model what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be a mentor to someone who is maybe not understanding how to build their own business, but you now are committed to, because you have the time. Like, I can take my unintentional Friday and spend it. Well, I actually do this as part of my intentional week. But you can really be a significant to mentor people, to move them from being, you know, sort of a narrow view of themselves, but not really owning their full life, to a full life where they can fully manifest. And so money could be used in in really good ways. And to me, this is a really important point. And when I was on Wall Street, it really blew my mind that there were people who were making money who didn't see this. They didn't really understand uh, that at a certain point, money's not going to make you happier. There's a purpose here. But, but it's so right in front of their face, they couldn't see it. They missed it. So 
I want to dig into this just a little bit because this this is sure. I love juicy contradictions. <laughs> right? Or, or, oh, or, I am a total or, yeah, or, or yeah, yeah, apparent yeah. contradictions, right? Yes. Because from a higher level, you can look at it and go, "Oh, not a contradiction." Yeah. Two sides of, of of an incredible coin. Well, I think the Buddhists call it the two truths, right? The apparent truth and then the analytical truth. When I, you I actually look, I didn't know that about that. You know, the absolute. Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right, we're going to get into that. So, yeah. so here you are. You're a meditator. Yeah. You, you've got these particular perspectives. Mm. Yeah. Give us a little bit of background on your Wall Street life. What took you to that? Mm. And and how that has helped to inform what you're doing right now? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I grew up in a family that had no money. Mm. My dad was a salesman. He sold up and down the Jersey Turnpike, staples and nails. And my mom... My, my dad sold men, uh, <laughs> men's neckties. Back, back, and, back when people wore neckties. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a really... You know, I love my dad. I've got a great relationship with him. But it was a really rough ride for him. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a, you know, just a receptionist uh, from a financial standpoint, you know, yeah. beautiful people, but yeah. uh, they struggled. They struggled. And I looked yeah. at other people that had money. And I could see that, you know, I needed to do something to fix the situation and be helpful. Mm. So my dad magically one day gave me a book about you know, the title of the book was called Think and Grow Rich. And I was a young kid. Oh, man. Classic. Classic. Napoleon Hill, yeah. it, you know, interviews. I don't know, a hundred people who are the wealthiest in the year 1900 to find the formula. So there I am, a 13-year-old. Did reading... I give that to you at age 13? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. So there's a part of your dad that was also tuned in. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, you got to be if you're a salesman, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he, that's right. That's right. So I got the book, and I started to effectuate all the different parts of it in my life. I was a basketball player. I loved, you know, I loved achieving. And, you know, that's where it puts you, puts you in achieve mind. Mm-hmm. And and after doing that for a while, I ended up at Chicago, you know, I ended up uh, at Chicago Business School, you know, from 13, played basketball, then went to college, and then sort of realized I have to do something to help my folks. Uh-huh. And, but at the same time, what came online for me was like, wow, the mind can achieve goals, but it also could do a lot of other things. And that's where I discovered Tibetan Buddhism and became a student of that path. But from a um, from a business standpoint, a business standpoint, as you call it, <laughs> you know, I had the good fortune of of getting into a great business school, and I didn't know anything. You know, I was a poor kid, essentially, or not middle class kid, yeah. uh, coming out of Rutgers College, going to, to a school that was like all these real high achievers. But I I had a lot of training, so I knew how to compete. And mm-hmm. that was there for, with a mission. So that, 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 that sense of competition was really helpful for you. Yeah, it really, and it, it was there early, and I, I, I kind of looked at it as a tool that I could kind of turn on when I needed it. Uh-huh. You could lean on it. I it could was, lean on it. It, it was tough, and I, I wasn't afraid of it. Yeah. Oh, man. Oof. Yeah, I mean, I was able to be myself and be competitive when I needed to be. I didn't want to be in a, in a tennis match with the other person not playing hard against me. I liked actually because it made me better. It makes you better. It does, yeah. It made me better. Yeah. And so I got the first job at a at a firm that became very big, Morgan Stanley. Mm-hmm. I became the first financial advisor at the firm that they trained. There were five of us. When I started, there were five people, and I left there were eighteen thousand. Holy smokes! Yeah. 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 I was very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. 
right, right place, right. Know, well, right but but you brought something to it as well. Uh, you, know, you know, right place, right time is a good way to say it. Right place, right time, sure. But you but know, it has to be combined with some with some sense of purpose. Of yes, course. yes. Yeah. But the wave was just beginning, and I got there at, at a fortunate time, and that's why the purpose of profit is so important because I was able to be fortunate enough, as some people are, to make enough oxygen to say, okay, what am I going to do with this? Ah, uh, yeah. Right. So for us. Chinese medicine practitioners, mm. we think of this thing called qi, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're familiar with this whole idea, right? There's this, this life force, there's this energy, and, mm-hmm. and if there's not enough qi, there's not enough juice for functional things to function properly. Yeah. But if you've got plenty of qi, then things just work. I mean, you're talking about the beginning of the center. I mean, I was at Morgan Stanley. It was 30-some-odd years, and I'm, I'm looking at wealth and how people are handling it, and they're all, from a qi standpoint, they're looking only at the, at the monetary... It's a tiny aspect of it. Not really. It's the full power that's available. Tell me more about the full power that's available, because it. I know for me and my upbringing, and even today to some, you know, to a large degree, I'm looking at just the money piece and like, oh, you know, can I get enough? And is there enough? And and you know, how do we make sure there's enough? And how do I even feel about there being enough or not enough? Right. I mean, yeah, oddly I, enough, I mean, I'll just put this right out there since we're having this conversation. Go it's, for it. It's go a juicy for it. One, right? There's a part of me that, that actually feels like, oh, if I've got enough, I worry about that because maybe that means someone else doesn't have enough. Right? That, that can put a real drag on mm. making sure that there's enough. Well, that's why having these four dimensions of or these four purposes of profit in, in your heart are really important mm. uh, because the I sense that the guilt of not doing things. I sense that the sense that one needs to do something that they're not doing is because maybe it hasn't fully become alive in their life. And, and, and doing more good sort of feels like, like, like you're aligned, mm-hmm. you know, when part of what you're doing is for other people, then having for yourself feels comfortable because mm-hmm. you're effectuating, you know, your own oxygen needs are being taken care of. And, you know, it's okay to have oxygen. It's it's okay. You know, it's necessary. Actually, actually necessary. It's really necessary. Yeah. How how else can I create a center? How else can we 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 have these classes that we do here? How else can we teach other people how to have oxygen? So there's there's such need out there, and there's so many people who really need to. I teach a class here called uh, Invest and Relax. I also teach a class on Think and Grow Rich. I also, you know, everybody's at a different stage of wealth. So for those who don't have wealth, using my own wealth to teach how to get wealth is really a great mission for me. Mm. You know, for a while there, for people who don't, um, one of the prescriptions in Think and Grow Rich is to just carry around what your goal is in your pocket and put a time on it and read it in the morning and read it at night. But the third thing on that on that little slip is, what is your gift that you've been given that you want to give to the world to get that which you're hoping for? Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. 
but this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Oh, whoa, that... I mean, I just hear you say that and I go, what a critical piece. Mm. What a catalytic part. So that it's not just about me trying to get something. No. That it's also taking this thing that's, you know, we've each got something to give in this world. Yeah. It's a way of reminding ourselves that we've got that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some people say, oh, I want to get this and I want to, like, I'll mentor uh, younger people and they say, I want to get make this amount of money or do this. And I'm like, well, who are you? And what if people told you is your, you know, this is a Kabbalistic notion. What is your what is your mission here? Like, what's the gift that you've been given? That people say, oh, you know, Matt is this, or you know, Matt's uh, that, and he's got a great talent of of speaking with people, or he's a great listener, or you you know, what is it that people have said about you your whole life that's your asset, that you that that you now though you don't have money, can give. And in return for that, you can get what it is that you put on that sheet of paper. And it may not just be money. So that means you need to be able to listen to what people are telling you that you've got to give. Yes. Being able to, to take that in, mm-hmm. recognize that you've got it, yep. recognize that it's in you. Yep. Because a lot of times people say, I don't know what my gift is. <laughs> it is hard. But there are people, you know, you remember what your teacher said in high school about you, right? <laughs> or, uh, you know, what your spouse says about you. There's clues all around yeah. the world. It's a relational existence. So the world is speaking to you about who you are. And when you can journal about it and listen to it and write, like, here are the three things that people seem to always say about me. I'm very analytical or mm. I'm a real loving person or... I love reading, so when I have free time, I just study, and there's just clues. And my clue was that, A, I needed to make money for my family, mm-hmm. right? I love talking about intangible ideas. Uh-huh. I love that. It's so much fun to discuss philosophy. I just always knew that about myself. <laughs> and I love people, and I love, you know, I love you know, debating ideas. And that led me on my path, because those are the three things I knew about myself. So when I went in interviews or I talked to other people, when I asked for what I wanted in life, mm. these were the three things that I brought up as my soul mission. And I, I, I kept them with me as well as my goals. And reminding myself of that daily, all of a sudden, things arose mm-hmm. because I was paying attention. Mm-hmm. And it was there all along. It's a matter of paying attention, taking it in, using mm-hmm. some intentionality with it, yep. along with the occasional unintentional Fridays. <laughs> so <laughs> now you were just talking Mona, about Kabbalah mm. and, and I like to hear a little bit more about that. Mm. I, uh, 
I remember being a kid going to Hebrew school and hating all of it. Yeah. But I remember having this one teacher who they said knew something about Kabbalah. Mm. I wish I could go back and have a conversation with that cat right now. Yeah. Right. But I, you know, but yeah. I miss that opportunity at age, yeah. you know, 12, uh. you know. But one of the things that I, I've looked into Kabbalah just a little bit. Mm. And one of the things I find really interesting about it is that it, it's an aspect, you know, it's more the mystical aspects of the Jewish mm-hmm. culture, just like all right. great spiritual traditions yes. have their mystical aspect, right? Yeah, yeah. They, but the thing about Kabbalah is that you're not supposed to go tinkering with that stuff mm. until you're a householder, until you're an owner, until you have a family, until you can function in this world. Yeah. Then you can start looking into that stuff, but not not before you've built a bit of a base for working with the material world. Yeah, it's so interesting in the in the uh, uh, in the integral world. And it's another world of world of theory of integral. It kind of goes along the same lines. You need to have an ego before you get rid of it. Mm. You need to have a healthy sense of who you are before you go beyond it. A lot of people like to transcend, but they don't include who they are in that transcendence. Ooh, oh man. Yeah, and as a result, they, there's dissociative. They're, you know, they're not taking care of their bills. They're not taking care of their the basic family, and they're 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 beautiful people. There's a sky element to it. It's like mm-hmm. I just want to reach beyond my selfish needs. But if you transcend and you exclude yourself, it's very difficult. If you transcend and include, in other words, you build a healthy life, grounded, getting things done, and you then transcend at the same time. You now have the perfect formula. So I think the reason why Kabbalah traditionally was you didn't study this till much later in your life was that you need to you need to get grounded first mm-hmm. and then include this thing, bring the sky in, uh, so that there's this healthy relationship between and balance between earth and sky elements. We talk about earth and sky all the time in Chinese medicine. Right. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is so this cool. is good. you're, you're going to yeah, love there's this. There's so much. You know, we're all learning languages, right? Yeah. Our conversation is really a language conversation. And for me, the most beautiful part about Integral is finding all these new communities that I wish I had many more years to just study all these traditions because there's such similarities, just different languages. Well, I want to know a little more about this Integral thing, but let me first tell you about yeah, this. Please. This. It, it's not just Chinese medicine, it's Chinese philosophy. Tianren Di mm. is what they say. Heaven, earth, right. and in between, mm-hmm. human beings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just the human beings that, that, that bring this together and these, mm. these aspects of heaven and earth mm-hmm. unfold through this middle right. thing that we call human beings. Yeah. Right. They, they, they express these forces express through us. Beautiful. We can connect to that. So I'm curious how this connects with integral. And in fact, I'm I'm not even sure what integral is. Mm. We've hung out a little bit here this morning. I'm, I'm hearing you talk about it. Mm. It sounds like it's a, a central piece of of what you're doing here. Very much in so. some ways that you think. So Very tell us so. tell us a bit more about that. Again, with you know, with the idea that we're talking to acupuncturists and that are uh, maybe trying to figure out how they are. Yeah. Getting enough oxygen in this life. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of years ago, a gentleman named Ken Wilbur said, you know, we have all these beautiful models. We have the Tibetan model, the Chinese model, you know, the psychological models. There's just so many ways of understanding human development. Why don't we just take all of them, put mm. them on the table, mm. and then come up with an understanding of a map so they can map out. See what the map looks like. See what the map looks like. From all these different perspectives. From all these different perspectives. What's it being pointed toward? Yeah. Okay. And can we come up with a meta map? Mm. 
So um, it's sort of a new emergence, uh, maybe the past 20 years. Uh, it's from Boulder, Colorado, of course, you know, the mecca of a lot of new things. Sure. But um, at its essence, it's saying um, we can look at the world uh, as sort of these narrow pieces and not really figure out how they go together. Or we can say to ourselves, like we did with profit, What's the objective truth about profit? What is the subjective truth? Let me just do the physics of it. Okay. Every point has an inside and an outside. Every point is single and plural. That leaves you four boxes. And it's four ways we look at the world. Some of us are objectivists. That's the outer singular. Mm. Those are my Wall Street friends. Okay. They just look at everything as there's no such thing as spirit, this whole emotional thing. Forget about it. It's, yeah. So that's, they live in the objective world, stri- uh-huh. strictly. They, anything that has to do with the interiors or art, forget about it. Yeah, off limits. Off limits. Another one of the boxes is the interior singular. That's, that's our emotions and our spirit. Mm. A lot of artists, our med- my meditation friends, their world has been primarily living there. Mm-hmm. The objective world, <laughs> I'll deal with it when I have to. Yes. Because I really have higher notions and and then when you bring those people together so you know those views together so people who are, who have this interior uh, view uh, there's a plural view which is really culture how do you and I communicate together on our interiors no one can see the words mm. no one can weigh the words we're communicating it I'm just making some noises out of my mouth there's this culture this this sense of connection that exists. And some people really live in that world. They're just connectors. Mm-hmm. And you know them when you meet them. Oh, you do. Yeah. You're just, you just tune right in and, yeah. and you just feel welcomed into a home, basically. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they oftentimes, with like community activists, they're very plugged into how culture affects people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's the intersubjective world. And the last one is, the inter-objective world. How do things work? I mean, one of the reasons people have such difficulty with money is the inter-objective side. How do systems, how does, how does taxation, well, my, my, my company, you know, I, I run a business, I got to get taxed. I can't meditate my way into understanding that. I actually have to sit down and someone has to show me and teach me. <laughs> yes. You know, the inter- like, how does finance work? How do I make money? How- what, what's going on here? Right. Like the what's going on here anxiety right. is so percolated under people and money that it's, it's, un, it's no, it's no, it's no uh, surprise that people feel real anxiety when dealing with money because the context is really the system of, of, of how people make money. And getting comfortable means learning those systems, making people comfortable with those ways of, of how the world works. So these four different views, people tend to dominate one over the other, and it keeps them from holistically seeing everything. Mm-hmm. So my role in wealth management, my role with the center, my role in money and helping people is to say, okay, my lens is the lens of subjective lens. You know, I, I'm really caring about my own personal interior work, but I got to learn this how the world works money-wise. And I have to understand that I have an antipathy for it. It's not really the way I want to go. Uh, but when they, four of these come online, it makes you very, uh, it makes you holistic because that is the definition. You know, so, so what does holistic mean? Each part supports the other. Yeah. Subjective, intersubjective, objective, interobjective, four points. 
when you have that, those four perspectives down, there's nothing missing. Basic physics. And we're not struggling against ourselves quite as much, are we? Well, we're not challenged by one of them. Like, you know, the problem is mm. if we ignore our money or we ignore how things work mm -hmm. or we ignore our emotions or we ignore mm. how we deal with people, pain results. Mm -hmm. So finding where the pain is coming from is really important. Yeah. You said something about shadow work earlier. Mm. Sounds like that, that might be a piece of it. Yeah, all growth, in my mind, stops if uh, the traumas that we've had around money or around anything are not sort of dealt with. So mm -hmm. if this, the re one of the reasons we built the center was to inspire growth in all these dimensions I just mentioned. And, and, um, but how do you grow if you have trauma and you have shadow? Oh, man, that, that, that is a huge question. I think those listening to our conversation right now, I mean, we all deal with people who've had different kinds of trauma, physical or emotional or... I mean, all kinds. Yeah, yeah. Um, people often come to acupuncturists because maybe there was something that happened long ago, and now there's actually physical things that are happening downstream as a result of that. And then we've got, like you say, we've got our own issues with how we might feel about being with money, how we feel about being with business, or just being in the world doing what we want to do. I remember being so insecure and so traumatized when I worked into Mor walked into Morgan Stanley the first day. <sighs> right? I came. What from happened? I came from a family with like, you know, we don't know. I didn't even know what a stock was. Even when I left business school, I still didn't really have a sense of it. Really? How did that happen? You go to business schools, don't quite understand. Well, stocks. you don't really. You know, you learn. You when you go to school, oftentimes you, you get a diploma, right. but you don't really understand until you practice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all y'all's out there listening to this right now, and you're thinking, damn, this Chinese medicine's hard. I got this diploma. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing? Well, now you got a diploma. Now, now you got to figure it out. Yeah, you got to figure it, it out. It's the same with, with the work that you've done as well. You got out of business school. It's like, what the hell am I doing now? What am I doing? Oh. What am I doing? You only can imagine that. I, Matt, for some reason, I am like deeply reassured to hear you say that. <laughs> Oh, there's so many worlds. <laughs> and walking into the Wall Street world as a person who didn't have much money was very, uh, I mean, it helped me that I was a practitioner. Yeah. But I had no context. And that bo that inter-objective world is all about context. Ah. Learning, yeah. So I, I was thrown into the trading desk. I was thrown, you were into, thrown into the trading desk. With and all you... these people who had trauma, right? All they were thinking about was money. Uh-huh. They were just thinking about the objective reality of, and and I understand why why they're having difficulty. And there's so much anxiety in that world because it's just one aspect that so dominates. And, and, by, and at that time, you had already had this larger view because of your meditative practice. Yeah. How did that start? That's, really, uh, that's a really great question. It really was the question of why, can my, if my mind can get a goal done, which is really cool. You know, like a younger person learning, I can get my goals done by mm -hmm. holding. Which you started to learn at age 13, 13 because and, you know, of, I carried uh, my sheets of my goal sheet and what I was going to contribute. And I'm thinking to myself, well. You were doing this at age 13. Yeah. You know, I was on a basketball player. I had, I had motivation cards. My, the joke in my house, I gave it to my kids. It's a little <laughs> box with all these motivational sayings. You know, I was going through my Tony Robbins stage. I was going through my Nepal. I was like positive thinking. I was doing all these things with my mind to get goals done. Yeah. But the question was, there's so much more. Uh-huh. And I knew that. Mm -hmm. So it, it made me seek things. So I started reading Jay Krishnamurti uh, and studying him. But, and I would read him, and I would go into a different state when I would read him mm -hmm. and go, wow, this is really powerful. 
much more powerful than anything material I can gain. But there was no method. So then I went in search of a method, and until I learned the Buddhist meditation path, which is a method, um, I was just having experiences and not knowing how to handle them. Wow. Experiences and not knowing how to handle them. <laughs> that, that, uh, that really rings a bell for me. It really so. does. Well, I'm just thinking about so many things in life. I mean, I'm, just, I'm having different images just pop up of, of moments in life from when I was like 23 or 32 or I mean, just whatever, where something would happen. It's like, what do I do with this? Mm. Right. So mm. I, I, I'm, so here's one that just popped up. Uh, I, I had been in college for three years and I realized I was studying something that really wasn't right for me. Mm. And I'm at the end of my junior year and I realized, you know what? I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting what little money I've gotten, what little money my parents had with me being at the state school, and I left, hmm. right? That moment of, oh, my God, what, you know, I'm having this experience. Something's not working here. I'm recognizing something's not working. Do I keep just doing what I'm doing because you're supposed to do it? Or do I let that experience move me in a certain direction? I let it move me in a certain direction. Beautiful. Right. And it grew out of you. It grew out of me. Yes. And I would say it was very unpleasant in the midst of happening. Oh, yeah. Very unpleasant in the midst of happening. Yeah. In retrospect, I can look back and go, right. wow. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, okay, so this is great. You were talking about growing. We were talking about growing businesses. We're going to circle around to that in a moment. But growing, you think about seeds, mm. right? For a seed to do what a seed is going to do. Mm. It has to come completely undone. It has to yeah. be completely destroyed. Whatever shell it has that holds it together comes apart. Mm. Whatever structure on the inside happens, it has to completely reconfigure itself and turn into something else. Yeah. Yeah. And that trust, or maybe not the trust, the th being thrown in. Mm. I guess it's by grace or by fire. It's by grace or by fire. <laughs> you know. Uh, and or maybe the grace of fire. <laughs> Yeah, being thrown to where you have no reference points. Yes. Uh, actually, is the practice of meditation. Ooh, tell me more about that. Well, in some sense, you know, um, your reference points are are always helping you. Like I'm, I have a home, and I have kids, and I have a certain amount of money, and and that's your reference point. Mm. But that's a very limited reference point. Mm -hmm. Or I have these emotions, and I'm usually like this kind of person. That's my reference point. Or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a Jewish person, or I'm this. That's my reference point. Mm -hmm. But in meditation, we drop our reference points and see who we really are below the labels and below the handles. Because handles are great, mm -hmm. but they're limited. Because now I'm limited to this identity that I called myself. Mm -hmm. And we're limitless beings. And when we can get in touch with that by dropping these limited views of who we are, so when we're forced into situations where we have no reference points, it's really horrible, but it's also a great gift if we can handle that, if we can get comfortable with that and see what arises, because then the clues start showing up. And that is the difference between growing and building. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, it'll point you somewhere, you know? Um, and uh, having support during those periods, having learning during those periods, having someone that can can help you feel okay during those periods is so important so you feel safe to a 
to look at the clues. The clues are always there, aren't they? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about this as we're having this conversation, thinking about so many times being lost in life, like in the process of deciding to become an acupuncturist for one. Mm. Clues are there. Yeah. And I look back on it, I go, yes, the clues were there. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I've talked to people on, on the podcast, and, and, and I often will ask the question, so how did you find your way into Chinese medicine? Right. And, and I've, I've actually had some people, and I'm, so, I'm just so amazed at these folks. Right. They were sitting in a restaurant. They <laughs> overheard a conversation at the next table. Somebody decided they're going to acupuncture school, and they decided, that's what I'm wow. doing. And they went to acupuncture. Wow. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, the clues are available. There's an example of someone who picked up a clue and just went with it. Yeah. It took me three or four years of arguing with myself before I did it. Right. And I suspect everyone, you know, who's listening right now, if we look back on some of those, let's call them pivotal moments, right, where you've got an opportunity for something to happen, there probably were clues. Yeah. Um, But there's never a guarantee. No. Um, What's interesting is, what do you do with those clues to move it, move it forward? Mm. And that's where there's some great sort of thoughts about oh, what I found very important to me was having models of people ahead of me on the path mm-hmm. in anything I did. Absolutely. So if I wanted to be an acupuncturist, I'd want to talk to somebody who's five, ten years into it yes. to be my model. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to recreate the wheel. So whatever I did, I always find models that are ahead of me as my inspiration. And it be, that became like one of the keys to like how to, you know, if we go back to my achievement self, mm-hmm. if somebody said, well, how do I achieve in doing what I'm doing once I get these clues? It's like finding someone who's taken those clues and, and been successful and, and learning how to do that yeah. or, or just find that person developing a relationship uh, was a real blessing. Were you the oldest in your family, or did you have youngest? You were the youngest. Yeah, no there one. we go. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I learned from all of my brother's mistakes. You know, it was great. I I send him a thank you note all the time. I just I thank him so much because he had to endure so much that I could just learn from. You know, because because a mentor is not only what you can do well, but when there's a problem, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. a bad example. Well, don't do that. And my, my brother, and I was so close, but it was like I I'm just so grateful that he was able to pave some way for me. I, I, you know, I love hearing this. It's so, you know, I'm sitting here laughing as we're sitting here face to face with this conversation. I'm sure you can see the smile on my face. I'm the oldest in my family. Oh. And so I hear you say, you know, I look for the people that are five or 10 years down the road. And I thought, man, I wish I had people five or 10 years down the road. Mm. I was the oldest. And so for me, it was always like just cutting my machete way through yeah. the weeds or banging my head on a wall until the damn thing fell down or you know on occasion on rare occasions like getting a glimpse oh here's someone doing something maybe I could do that too yeah but I, I didn't have that um, you know geese fly in a V and they actually take turns right because the lead goose is like breaking the wind and everybody else is kind of drafting yeah and so what I hear you saying is you, you found this wonderful way of being able to draft on the experience of other people in a way that would be helpful. Yeah. And it was intentional. And it was intentional. Well, guess what, my friend? Now I'm going to start doing that. It'll be intentional for me, too. It's never too late to learn. <laughs> yeah. It's really a practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, the practice of finding someone ahead is a, 
is uh, something to, it's like searching for a teacher. Yeah. Or a mentor. Or a mentor. It's truly a mentor. Truly a mentor. You know, the, one of the, yeah, it's one of the really important things is to find a mentor and be a mentor. Yeah. You know, I, we, we talked before we turned the tape on today. I'm, I'm mm. just reflecting on this right now. Right. You, you asked me a few questions before we got started just to kind of get to know who I was. And, and yeah. I told you about when I was thinking about becoming an acupuncturist. Mm. I'd already been working in high tech and, you know, that was a pretty, I had a nice middle class life. Guess what? I liked it. Didn't want to give that up. And when I first thought about doing acupuncture, I, I thought, God, you know, is it possible to make the kind of living that I want to make? Mm-hmm. to have the kind of life that I enjoy. This is yeah. a fine life. I don't want to give it up. I know something about being poor because I spent a number of years doing different kinds of arts right. at a younger stage, and uh, I found out that not having material oxygen, so to speak, was mm-hmm. not a good idea. Right. So one of the things that I did before I went to acupuncture school, because this is back in the 90s, yeah. I pulled out the yellow pages, which yeah. doesn't even exist anymore. And I at random called acupuncturists. I was fortunate that the people who responded to my call and would sit down with me for an informational interview, they were all doing well. Wow. Right? They were driving reasonably late model cars. Mm -hmm. They owned their own homes. Right? They were able to take vacations. I wanted to make sure that this idea held water. Mm. And so I looked to people Mm -hmm. that were doing it. Yeah, and, and I and I and I met people that said yes, it's doable. Right, I would have never done it without that. Yeah, I would have never done it without some kind of sense that this was possible. And and so I'm I'm just thinking like in these next endeavors, especially as I grow this podcast. Yeah, and see what it wants to turn into because I feel like I've got a tiger by the tail right now. Beautiful. Yeah, it's it's beautiful and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, to, what is to, it? to look like for the those little, models. The little rascal one that's like they're 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 going down a, a hill out of the old little rascal show, and <laughs> and Spanky's like going down, and I think it's uh, Buckwheat's in front of him on a on a on a on a on a fire engine, and the back end goes in the front, and he says, and Spanky says to Buckwheat, "Where are you going?" He goes, "I don't know, but we're on our way." <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're kind of going in a direction. And uh, the cl- the clue of a person ahead of us is is gl- glimmer, you know. It ain't everything, right. but it, we're, a, we're you know we pick the direction and we find someone ahead that can help us, and it's it's such a beautiful thing, uh, it's such a precious thing. I, I also think it's an important thing to serve that person, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 serve with the gifts that you have, and become a real friend of that person because that person is like, it's almost like a guru in your in your life. And that's such a precious person, precious, you know, idea, precious ideal. So you're, wow. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just, yeah, you know, if I I could say something further about, you know, like you talked about seeds and so one of the seeds is is finding somebody ahead, but another seed, even if you're the oldest in your family, Mm -hmm. it's learning, studying your profession without a mentor. Mm-hmm. That's another path that you could do. Uh, I remember when I studied Buddhism early on, um, I didn't. I wasn't part of a group. I was doing this on my own, uh, really isolated for like 15 years. I just and I didn't really want anybody. I just wanted to study, and it was a path for me. It was like I would just read and listen to tapes. I just study and meditate and be on my own. My teacher Chungam Chungam would call it the rhinoceros way. <laughs> 
as opposed to the parakeet way. I was on uh-huh. my own, like in a mud pie, just being by myself, just practicing and learning. So I didn't have a mentor. I just studied. So your books were your mentors? My books were my mentors. They were in the books. They were in the books. And, 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 there and, was, and you had the kind of mind that was able to take that as nourishment. Yeah. Some people, that's the way I kind of learned. Yeah. And, and so it helped, it helped me from a standpoint. I didn't have somebody inspiring me ahead of me on that path. But I had the books. Well, you had the people that wrote the books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you had them. Exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't until later that I got the third element that really helped my seed grow. Because mm-hmm. I had a community of people who were also doing what I was doing. I met oh, the community. Yeah. Like your podcast, just think of the community you're building. And to be heartfelt connected to this community is so amazing. Because now you're not alone. You're growing. Right. With examples ahead, mm. with learning, but you're with people who are also doing the same thing. So having those three is sort of a, sort of what they call it is is in Buddhism, right? Buddha Dharma Sangha. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mentoring, learning, and being in the community of learners. And that takes a seed, you know. If I want to be anything, if I want to be an acupuncturist, I want to be an investor, I want to be make some more money. Have those three ingredients, and you have a very stable way to grow. And so it, it, a piece of it is our own internal work in us. Right. And a piece of it is the community. Community is That power. we do this in. Yeah. It's like... Super essential. It's so... It's so um, you know, it's, it brings the heart online. You Ooh. know, this... To grow without the heart is just, like, lifeless. But to grow with people, you know, it's the reason we built the center. It's really a point of community. And I feel like so many of us are lacking it. I was lacking it, mm-hmm. and this is the Align Center, and part of the alignment was for me. And I, what I needed greatly was community. And I, I just feel that's a form of wealth that, that is not named as a great form of wealth. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so often when I think about wealth, Mm. and all y'all listening to this right now, I encourage you just to take a moment and think about what wealth means to you. When I think about wealth, I often think about money or material possessions, maybe real estate or things like that. But you just talked about this community as also being a kind of wealth, mm. important part of wealth. I, I'm, I would like to hear other aspects 
uh, experience or reality or whatever that you consider wealth. I mean, I, I, I saw a computer screen of yours just a little while ago with all these you know, stock <laughs> things on it, just looking at it going, Chinese, I understand. This stuff, no. <laughs> and you said that you could teach me to learn how to read it, which makes me sure, super excited. Sure. But talk to us a little bit about, about wealth beyond wealth. Our, our idea of what's in our bank account. Oh, my God. I mean, this is really why I left as a director of, the, of Morgan Stanley to build this place. It's at the core of it. Because um, wealth, yes, it's about oxygen and money. Mm-hmm. But it just equally, and these are, I think, equal weighted, if you will. This was an equation. These, each one are equally weighted. Mm-hmm. Having funds and having oxygen, yes. Having community, Yes. Mm-hmm. Community is a form of wealth. I know a lot of wealthy people in the community mm-hmm. world. And that's a form of wealth. And um, the, the way uh, I think about it is people are wealthy because they have their, maybe they have their families and they identify that as their, their, their area of concern. Mm. But I see people extend that area of concern to their, maybe their neighborhood. Uh-huh. And then they extend a little further, maybe their community. Oh, and then they extend right. it further, where maybe do you draw, their Where do you nation, draw the boundaries? Yeah, And just get rid of the... And just really extend the big area. But live locally, right? Be in community and, and emanate out and build oh, more and more community. So that's the practice here is like, you know, um, allow the walls to come down, but build the community on the ground and be with people uh, in what you're doing makes a big difference as a form of wealth. And some people are wealthier than others. Some, and some people have the... Uh, the good fortune. Well, there's the good fortune, but also the internal bandwidth to be able to handle it. That's true. Right? I mean, yeah. I, you know, let's just come back to... I'm just, I'll, I'll make this really personal because I so appreciate the, the personal level of this conversation that we've been having. Right? And I suspect that some of the listeners might be with me on this that sometimes you get a, like a certain amount of money in your bank account and you start going uh oh this is a little uncomfortable and it's not because the amount is is low it's because the amount starts getting high mm-hmm. right where you start thinking you know, I start thinking about because I, I identify as a bit of an introvert mm-hmm. and all of a sudden when there's all these people in my life and there's all mm-hmm. you know whether it's people in my practice or my community mm-hmm. or the people in the podcast, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, it's like there's so many people asking something of me yeah. and it begins to get uncomfortable, yeah. right? That there's, there's like these baselines I suspect we all get used to yeah. and then ha- it's like, how do you make that uh, shift so that you can actually take on more that you've got more band you know using a modern metaphor more bandwidth how do i go from having like a dsl line to fiber optic <laughs> um you know i uh there's a practical answer to the theoretical the, the or the philosophy i remember one rinpoche <laughs> said to me you know you, you have the ability to love people like a maserati level of speed you, but you're running at matt you're, you're running at 20 miles an hour oh just knowing we have the capacity to, to have more relationship than we have mm. is very freeing. Mm-hmm. We have unlimited ability that way, but we have a Maserati ability when it comes to, you know, we have the fast capability to be able to relate with a lot of people, but we've only exercised a small part of it. Mm. And we get very comfortable with habits. Yes. You know, so breaking out of the habit of just dealing with like three people or four people in your life, mm-hmm. it's hard. 
but it's doable. Mm-hmm. And um, and for me, like I, yeah, the center now, there's so many people coming. It's super challenging, but I just relax into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Invest and relax. Invest and relax. <laughs> you know, there are times it's like, oh my God, I don't remember people's names. Uh, they're coming at such deep levels to have conversation. Mm. But I trust, I trust in that, in that teacher's comment that I have a great, I, that within me is a capacity I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I need to let that arise mm-hmm. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And with all wealth, there's an innocence about wealth and pain comes. Innocence about wealth and then pain comes. Right. The, because like even when you get money, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do with it. You're going to make a mistake. Mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. But that, the pain of that mistake is, will, is the vehicle for the next step. Like you learn from mistakes. And I made so many mistakes in investing. You know, my, and, and no, I no, I don't know. Oh, I'd like oh to hear my about, God! I mean, because you know, everyone feels bad about like making a bad investment. Oh my God! It's I mean, think about it. You know, people are coming to me. They think I'm this Wall Street guy when actually I'm the. Well, guy. you are a Wall Street guy. I am, but I don't identify with it. Just like you don't identify with what is it? Your, you know, your home. What we were talking about where you grew up and. Oh, you know, right, I said, I live where in do St. you live? Louis. What's your home? And you yeah. said St. Louis. I said, well, I'm there. I'm there on assignment. On assignment. You, you said, oh, that's home. I said, no, not really. I'm kind of there on assignment. Yeah. And I'm an investment person on assignment. Right. Okay, great. Love that's it. how I identify myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very freeing, isn't it? Much more freeing. Or I, I don't know if freeing is the right word, but there's like more room to maneuver. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not so identified. A little more flexible. Not so identified. Yeah. So what, the train, what train were we on that I, wa- I wanted to... We were on the A train, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it's sort of... Um, uh, oh, it was the breaking out of habits and being able to get more bandwidth so that we can inhabit... So we can move. So we can drive our Maserati at Maserati speeds. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess right now it's, it's just dealing with the, the pain of constantly coming up with barriers to that and meeting people that are just... You know, having difficulty because I forget their names and don't really know, and feeling that uncomfortableness. Yeah. Um, but, we, but you also talking about investing and making mistakes. That's where we were. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back because now I have this reputation as being a Wall Street guy, which I don't identify with. But one of the events was um, one of my friends came to me. Look, you have money. People are going to come to you and say, hey, "I'd like you to." invest in me or my business or whatever it may be. This was like one of my close friends. Mm-hmm. And he came to me with an idea. He said, you know, I, I found a patent for how to take the fat out of peanuts. I just thought I struck gold. Mm. I thought those were the greatest things in sliced bread. I thought mm-hmm. like, this is the change of all changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can eat all the nuts we want and not get fat. There's no fat in them. Uh, and I gave, I was young. Uh-huh. I gave him money. Yeah. And it, it was totally ridiculous. It was ridiculous. <laughs> How would it taste anything like a peanut without the fat? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I was young and I just got some money and I thought, oh, yeah. he's a friend. Yeah. So I didn't really know really how to make a business decision. I didn't do due diligence. I didn't do due diligence. Yeah, I didn't really yeah, didn't yeah. ask other people about it. I didn't investigate, well, do you have a patent? I didn't, you didn't see what your older brother would have been doing with it. Right. <laughs> I had nobody to ask a question and say, well, should I do this? And they say, Matt, that's really stupid. I did it. Mm-hmm. And it was very painful for me because it was a decent amount of money at the time. Yeah. And it's painful to take that hit. Yes. Looking back on it, I can say one thing. But during it, uh, it was really painful to one day call him up, and then he said, "Well, 
we have no value. You lost all your money. And I'm like, oh, whoa. I was embarrassed to tell anybody. Yeah. You know, uh, I told people that I was doing this. Here I am, a University of Chicago grad in business school and so, emba- so embarrassing. Um, but I learned some great things from it. Mm. I learned to do my due diligence, to apply my mind mm. in investing, not just my heart. He was a friend. Yeah. It was trust. Mm-hmm. Trust is great, but you need to apply your trust intelligence. Trust in Allah and tie the camel. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, so anyway, we, we were talking about forms of, of wealth and... You know, um, uh, you know. Uh, I guess we talked about community wealth. We talked about the pain of building more community and how difficult that can be. Um, but how great that could be too. Absolutely. How great that can be. Yeah. But I just like to pivot to another form of wealth that I think your community really gets. Mm. And I just wish my community or the community that I don't identify much is the Wall Street community, and that is the mindful awareness wealth. Mm. being present, uh, the wealth of presence, mm-hmm. as just as important as anything else. And when I meet people who are socially very active and changing the world or have a lot of money but don't have presence because they haven't worked on that as a form of wealth, it's a missing piece. Mm-hmm. I want this place to proclaim the importance, the equivalence of that wealth to the equivalence of financial wealth and the equivalence of community wealth. That presence and, and learning how to be present and, the, and making that just such an important path. And I think, you know, it used to be that was like not the norm, but uh, it's becoming more in vogue. But it's, it's still, the question is, is it, is it ego that's driving that or is it authentic presence? Oh, wow. Well, and we, we talked earlier in this conversation the importance of ego at a certain point, you need to have a well-developed ego. Yes. Or you don't get to create some kind of unique differentiation in this world. Yeah. It's, it is essential to the process. I think I agree with that. In fact, even to be more mindful, is an egoist, you know, there's an, I want to be better, right? My ego, you I want to be better. competition. I want to be good at I, this. I want to be good at this. I want to be a good meditator. And that's a great first entryway into meditation. It's not where you end up, but it's where you begin. Well, the beginnings and the endings of things are usually different. Whatever gets us started on something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by and large, I don't think is what gets us finished. Yeah. yeah. There, there's great, there's super important things at the beginning of any enterprise that you can't do without. But those things that, that launched your ship, whatever that is, it's probably not what's going to get you all the way across the ocean. So well, that speak. was what was true for me when I went from being a motivation guy mm-hmm. to saying, okay, how can my mind do something for me that's bigger? Uh-huh. That was all about me. It was all about how can I be more expansive? Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it, you know, it pushed me along, but it was still about how to, you know, build a healthier, better me. And uh, without that step, the rest of the steps would have happened. So, right. Um, I, I, I really value when people come to meditate because they're going to be calmer as a result of it or they're going to feel better as a person because of it. It's, 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 that's a really good thing. We're going to be able to connect up with all those sources of, of wealth and being um, and ability. Yeah. So um, the last form of wealth mm. that I think needs to come online for those who who, who – who are looking for wealth in all its dimensions mm-hmm. would be what you're doing. 
and that's learning. Learning is a form of wealth as a continuous experience and a vital experience. Emerson wrote about how when you look at people's faces, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, the image, their face tends to be like one form, like a concrete form as they get older. Their face, when they're a child, their face has all sorts of abilities to shift and show emotion. And then as they grow older, it just concretizes. And it kind of reflects their level of learning, too, that they're, they, you know, I find that my expression, my facial concrete, breaks when I learn. I'm, I'm, I'm able to be in the world in a different way. And when I meet people who are lit up, mm-hmm. they're learners. So that's a form of wealth. And having these four different wealths, the financial wealth, mindful awareness wealth, community wealth, and learning wealth, having those four really going on in your life, you know, all right now I'll reown my identity. I'm a wealth manager. But that's a real wealth manager. Mm-hmm. That's a real wealth management comment. I don't hear those. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm actually trying to help change the paradigm in how people look at wealth. And with that, they may feel a little better when they hear the word wealth than what they do now. Because now when you hear it, you're just hearing about oxygen and about financial wealth. Well, I thank you so much for your time here today. This has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I feel like I've learned so much. Mm. I've got more than oxygen (laughs) that... That, that I can rely on, and, and it makes me feel better about the oxygen I've got. Oh, thank you. And uh, I, I just, I'm so appreciative of that and, and for your work here. Mm-hmm. Before we sign off today, are there, are there resources? I mean, I live in St. Louis. You're right. here in this lovely uh, portion of, mm. uh, I don't know what part of New York this is. It's, it's, it's not we're in the city. Half, we're about a half hour north of New York City just, on the Hudson. Like the Hudson it's like Valley, 45 the minutes away from Grand Central Station. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. It's like the best of A little secret. It, well, not a secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so are there things that our listeners can do to tap into some of the resources that you've got here? Well, we have a website, yeah. and we're developing. Initially, when we built this place, it's been you know really a year that the Institute's been going, but three years that the business has been going. We have a website. It's thealignedcenter.com. And you could learn more. And we're going to start to do podcasts. We're going to start to do mm-hmm. things uh, probably over the, next, good idea. over the next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being a model for me. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, it's, it's wonderful how teachers arise when you least expect it. So maybe that's a good way of signing off and thanking you for being a teacher to me and allowing me to be a learner in this conversation as well. It's so, it's so exciting to meet another teacher, another mentor. Thank you for us being able to start that conversation. This has been a blast. <laughs> Thank you. After talking with someone like Matt, I just end up feeling so much more positive about the role that business can play in people's lives and play and making our world a better place. You know, it's easy to focus on the bad players when it comes to the business world. And I think it gives us a skewed perspective on the power of business to do good in the world. 
Can you think of some businesses that you respect and that you like to patronize, maybe even pattern some of your own business on their practices because you like what they're doing? And if you're thinking that businesses are bad, are you including yours in that number as well? Indeed, sometimes taking a good critical look at what we're doing, how we're doing it, and how it all makes us feel, it's really important to make sure that we're actually aligned with our highest purposes. So I super appreciated this conversation today with Matt. Be sure to tune in next week. I'll have Stacy Chapman with me. This one's not on business, but it's going to be on getting your tech together. That's right. It is the digital age. We ignore it at our peril. And Stacy has some great ideas on things that acupuncturists, even if you're not that technical, can do to help make your tech work for you. Tune in next week, friends. I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.